the four doors of the homunculus, is the multidimensional beating heart of Baluili. The labyrinthine establishment is a licensed premises for imbibing in food, alcohol, realistic entertainments, and all other sociability-inducing baubles. Weird Audio Productions proudly presents the four doors of the homunculus visit number two. Not that we are counting your visits to our illustrious establishment oh dear me no, as your visits are warmly welcomed numerated or not with open tentacles all other forms of communication systems welcome to the galaxy premiere listening to twit05 of twitterfear.ie. But first you must enter one of the four doors of the homunculus bar as Blowin and his interstellar lodger, Warish E.T. are also about to come to the same thirst-quenching conclusion, and for all of you fortunate to be wearing an access all dimensions pass are welcome to partake of a drinky or two at Wakaruti's bar upstairs after the podcast performance. So enter if you please one of the four doors of the homunculus bar. I have just had a tweet saying there is a package awaiting me, but the item is above the bandwidth capacity of our old domestic 3D printer. But, it goes on to say that and post can send on the blueprint software to our nearest location. It goes on by saying, there is a franchise branch of and posts Mega 2 Max 3D printers conveniently situated in the homunculus bar how convenient but through which door i wonder convenient yes oh don't flap we can ask the doorbell of course i wonder who it is from fancy a stroll down to the old homunculus then it is from me as a gesture of appreciation to mine host I wangled it onto my expense account, so you'd better like it when my gift of appreciation is printed. I will. I am so sure I will. Let's go while the Ballyhweely boyos are still winning. Better still, let us be cozily installed in the homunculus with a solar flare drink in your hand, whilst awaiting your printout before the apparatus match spectators crowd into all of the town's pubs. Ah yes, the post-match triumphant slash consolatory wetting your whistle drinking session. If only I could appreciate sport in all its sweaty glory. I can help you there. I could race you all the way to the four dollars. On my marks, three, two. Oi, hold up there. You know we'd both arrive at the same time. Impossible for us to do otherwise. Oh yeah. I had forgotten about some of the restrictions of being an embedded galactic antenna reporter for a moment or two. I was too enthralled in all this gloriously contagious, sporting rapture. I still think we should race to the homunculus though. You are looking rather portly these days. You just don't get enough exercise, you really don't. So, I say again. On your marks, 3, 2, 1. You are at the doorstep of the four doors of the homunculus bar. Which door are you choosing today sir? I have come to collect my package. I believe there is a franchise branch of and posts Mega 2 Max 3D printers conveniently situated in the homunculus bar. But, through which door would that be sir? That would be door number 4 sir. The hinges are a tad stiff today. Just give the door a preemptive nudge, with your shoulder sir. The universe is forever expanding sir and there are several floorboards missing in the old bar today. So tread lightly sir. I'll take your advice then, with the shoulder, a preemptive nudge like. Precisely sir. And far be it for me, a mere doorbell, to spout an opinion sir. 
but a few more preemptive nudges in your personal database sir. Then you would certainly have more of a spring in your step each day of your existence, to be sure. Bloody cheek. The sodden electronic doorbell is spouting at me now. Oh, just give the door a nudge with your shoulder will you before the Apris match crowd get here and use you as a battering ram. I'll count you down. On your marks. Get set, 3, 2, 1. Well that is one way of entering licensed premises. But nil points for style and swagger old chap. Good afternoon monk. It was the doorbell's fault, encouraging me to give the door a preemptive nudge whilst spouting on about how the universe is forever expanding and how I can put a spring in my step. I know, that doorbell is due an adjustment soonish. It displays most peculiar manners at times. It is on my to-do sometime soonest list, anyway. What be your poison? A solar flare according to my doctor. Coming right up, me boyos. The match finished early then. Speaking of sporting events. Your lado, Beck had a win on the horses this morning. Two drinks later and he's spent all his winnings on some internet purchase. But he would not elucidate further concerning his acquisition. Yep, Beck finally put his shirt on a four-legged horse that knew how to run home. His winnings would have been better appreciated in my tilt, but fair play to the lad. Your man is out the back propping up the in-post printout counter. There you go then, two solar flares, enjoy. I'll take them out the back. He has also got a date with the lady at the impost printout counter. There he is then. The man that knows a tad about horse flesh. So, you've heard of my astute good fortune at the racetrack earlier then. Well, I've spent it all on a Spitfire aeroplane. Don't look so agog. The scale down model. The working model at that boot. You mean it can actually be flown? Well, I suppose you could fit comfortable in a cockpit to fly the plane if you were the size of a teenage gibbon. Other than a young gibbon volunteering, I'll have to control the aircraft by portway. No, I mean Wi-Fi, really, I do. How are you going to get it home? I mean that is an immense crate you have taken receipt of. I know, it is a tad bigger than I envisioned. Even though it is supposed to be a self-construct flat pack model, it looks a trifle bulky. I suppose I should have thought to arrange for transportation earlier. I'll go and pull in a hover trolley from a satellite supermarket. Look after my package for me, I'll be back in a jiffy or two. That son of yours has lost his marbles, surely? Well, he is a member of ABRC. The 20th Century Air Battle Reenactment Club. Beck has always wanted to fight in the Battle of Britain, ever since he was a kid in nappies. A very peculiar boy. How may I be of service to you, sir? I am here to collect a package from a secret admirer of a redirected blueprint out. About so big, from the estimated dimension. No problemo. Just swipe your phone across my screen. Uh. It has been rejected. I can only- That's my phone you have there, not yours. Sorry. I must have taken it from the wrong pocket. Aha here is mine. There you go sir. Everything is tickety-boo. And here it is sir. A package for Mr. Bluin. Mr. Bluin. I have a printout for your collection, Mr. Bluin. Calling Mr. Bluin. I am he. I am Mr. Bluin. Mr. Bluin, I have a package for your acceptance. For me? A brown paper parcel all neatly tied up with white string and red blobs of sealing wax. 
Oh. I wonder what can it contain? Why don't you open it up then? I will. I am. I am getting to it. Sire, sir, I must ask you, is this crate that you are leaning against, your property? Not so. I am just minding it for my son. Beck has gone to get transport arranged. Then I must ask you to step aside, sire. I have to treat this, unattended by owner, crate as hostile. It is a Bandair Tribeam Ray Gun. And surprise, surprise, batteries are included in this case. A Dandare Tribeam Ray Gun is the most powerful handgun in the galaxy. The Tribeam variables can stun to frazzle in so many a violent frenzy. Sire. Sir, I have to ask. Are you threatening me with that ray gun, sir? And it has its own leather holster and belt. Splendid. Attention customer service. We have a hostile situation with a 5-ton wooden crate, contents unknown and a human male confronting me with a fully charged Dandare ray gun. The most powerful ray gun in the galaxy. I think I may need backup, please. Customer service. Sir, I have backup on the way here, sir. So, it would be best for all concerned, if you put that ray gun down on the floor, sir. Oops, sorry. Now look what you've done. You have just shot the mini forklift with that damn toy gun. I do wish that I had not bought that weapon for you now. Sir, we request you to put your weapon down to defuse the situation. Sir, we could order another round of solar flares, if you would place your gun on the floor. One solar flare for each hand, sir, so you need to put the gun down. Put the gun down right now, sir. Because your solar flares have just arrived. This is Susie, your cocktail waitress for the duration of your visit today. Hi, Al. I am Susie, here with your complimentary drinks. Two solar flares, one for each hand. She has got you there. Sussed out as a stereo drinker. Now what seems to be your problem, Mr. Blowin? The unattended crate has to be removed from public spaces for security and safety reasons. My mini forklift was just doing his job. You did not need to shoot him with that printout ray gun. May I pick it up and take a look at it? Oh yes. Beautiful. A Mark 7 with 3D tri-beam controls. My great uncle Stefan had one of these when he was in short pants. Oh, look here. This one is permanently set on mild shock. It must be a Terry control setting. Those extraterrestrial merchants are so considerate to us puny earthbound terrestrials. Mini forklift B34527, get up off the floor. You have only suffered a mild stun ray at most. This is disgraceful, lying down on the job again, B34527. Sorry Mark, but it came as such a shock. I lost hydraulic control Mark. It won't happen again. I should think not. Alright B34527, resume your duties, and take care of this abandoned crate please. Now Mr. Blowin put this toy back in its holster where it belongs. And how about another round of solar flares to keep both your hands fully occupied, you little trigger happy customer you. And another round wouldn't go amiss as far as you're concerned, neither. See. Caught out again. She knows you are a stereo drinker. Good on you, mate. Bring that crate over here and load it onto the back of this hover trolley. There's a drink in it for your troubles, there is a... Excuse me. And you are? Squadron leader back of the 20th Century Air Battle Reenactment Club. ABRC for sort. I have arrived to take receipt of my new kite, the 1941 RAF Spitfire. Your good man has just kindly offered to place my crate on the back of my little pickup truck. Did I hear anyone mention drinks all around just a moment earlier? My loading bot is happy to help you squadron leader. After all, five tons is a tad heavy for yourself to be lifting, to be sure. Too true, dear lady. I admit I am not as fit as I used to be. Now this Spitfire aircraft... It is not a full-size replica, is it? 
By no means, dear lady. About a fifth of the actual size. So, it is just a big toy then? Nothing at all, Letho, about it? A big toy, maybe. But if I can afford the deluxe expansion pack, I can make it life-size. But that boy won't be for a while yet. Unless I have another lucky win on the GG's, of course. But, I see your lifting bot has safely loaded my package on board my trusty pickup. That's not a pickup truck, trusty or otherwise. That is a hover trolley, purloined from the satellite supermarket. Borrowed, dear lady. Borrowed to be returned soonest. So the soonest I'm on my way, the soonest I can return the supermarket trolley. I fear, sir, that the combined weight of this little package, as you described this five-ton crate to me earlier, plus the weight of your good self, is over my safety limit. What are you trying to tell me? The supermarket trolley is diplomatically trying to point out that it would be best if you got out and walked alongside to spare the hover trolley unnecessary strain and further ill-advised effort squadron leader. Or is that sort of self-sacrifice only practiced in the cavalry these days? A walk back to the airfield accompanied by your good self, my dear lady. Ah, I see Susie on your name badge. How delightful. Miss Susie, say you will. A nice bit of chow in the officer's mess, a bottle or two of wine. I'll see that you'll get back to your billet by midnight, Miss Susie Ella. Well, that is a very unexpected invitation that will need some considerable consideration. Come on, let's leave them to it. I have my present in its holster. Let us go before this gets any more embarrassing. Well, Air, you are probably right. He doesn't seem to have a chance, does he? Attention good patrons of the homunculus. The traveling audio theater of mindfulness has set up its performance teepee which is the size of an auditorium no less, outdoors in the backyard. Follow the white dimensional cat out back to your hover seats in the traveling teepee theater to enjoy the multi-dimensional audio wave performance of Twit5 of Twitterfear.ie. Well that is unusual. Your favorite audio drama podcast follows you to the pub to put on a live performance. Eat your heart out, Google Play. Sounds good to me. Beats waiting for the download. Shall we follow the white dimensional cat out back? For those of you who listened to the Brian Flubrighty show that was broadcast live from Wicked Whack Manor the other evening, in celebration of, air, what were those young folk musicians? Wicked Whack celebrating? Celebrating having a party, I suppose. You know what young folk are like these days. Anyway, at the party your man Brian Flubrighty and Reggio Epstein, the global entrepreneur and the founder of Vestal Sisters Industrial Empire. More than a whiff or two of the scent of sulfur about your man O. Epstein, if you ask me. Let us hope our Mr. Flubrighty comes to his senses before it is too late for our nation's most popular broadcaster. And what about the assassination attempt on Spuddy and company on the Kilberry Road as Captain Spud traveled to the party at the big house in a borrowed satellite supermarket hover trolley? And the action of Ziggy's countermeasures to the kamikaze John Deere tractor hurtling down upon them, causing the hover trolley to crash into the riverbed from such a great height. Causing Jita's waters to break, as she along with all the rest of the party guests, watch on the Alien Hack 3D Entertainment stacking system. Video feed of all the dastardly action of the remote-controlled assassination attempt on your man Spuddy and his cohorts. So, roll up, roll up. The world premiere of Twig 5, entitled Pond Life, is about to start. Do Captain Spud and his companions survive the hover trolley crash landing? Or is it all over before it has hardly begun? Follow the white dimensional cat to the teepee of the traveling audio theater of mindfulness to find out what happens next in twitterfear.ie. Exciting or what? Weird Audio Productions proudly presents Twit5 of Twitterfear.ie, entitled Pond Life, conceived and written by Davy Ferguson.
The crash scene is in near darkness. Over to the left of the disaster area, beyond the dry stone wall and tree-lined barrier, some of the wreckage of the exploding John Deere tractor has caused several dead trees which were only being held in place by thick predatory entwining vines of ivy to catch on fire. As the flames ravenously ascend the tree trunks and reach the diesel-soaked branches, full conflagration takes place and we now have at least half a dozen giant medieval pitch torches lining this hazardous stretch of the Kilbarry Road. On this side of the flaming barrier, the only other source of light is the crescent moon and attendant stars that are lustrously illuminating the belly-flopped supermarket trolley as it rests precariously on the shallow riverbed. The two android hitwomen, their weapons spent, are lying slumped and inert in the back seat of the hover trolley after their near-fatal magic carpet ride. The eyes of the two android ladies click open instantaneously and they slowly return to life, surveying the scene, slight comments. Well, it could have been worse. Could it not? This is not our kill, is it sister dear? We are certainly not going to get paid for this contract, are we? This little disaster is all someone else's doing, right? I suppose so. But we did end up defending Spuddy ourselves, did we not? We had no choice. That booby-trapped vehicle would have taken us out too. And at the satellite supermarket as well. Where the feck did that robotic dispenser get his hands on a bazooka rocket launcher? I know Spuddy was probably winding the mechanical shop assistant up somewhat. But I thought that on this planet at least, the customer was always considered to be in the right. But to aim a rocket launcher at a shopper. Mayhap, that is perhaps the new political order of this puny planet Earth. Around the world and around the 24-hour clock, full-on fascist capitalism, the beating heart of consumerism unto oblivion, I suppose. So, a robotic grocer aiming a rocket launcher at a shopper or two is justifiable fictional license. Again, we had to intervene and defend a little prick. Well, sister dear, when you are staring at the pointed end of an explosive missile which is about to be fired, what else do you expect me to do? What the feck, yes. Stay sharp, sister. Do not let that smelly, carbon-based simian monkey and his pet bubble risk us becoming collateral damage. That way can lead either of us submitting to compulsory component recycling, and we both know that can hurt a tad. But he is so hopelessly harmless, and he is obviously unarmed and, and, he, he is so dis, disarmingly cute with his little endearing balloon creature. They seem to need our protection, don't you think? What? Are you out of your circuitry? And do not call the little shite by that vomit-inducing pet name. Spuddy feck off. No. No, that idea of protecting the target of the contract. No, that would not be ethical, it certainly would not. Are you sure, Slight, that you are not feeling all biological over that subsentient simian? We are hit women, sisters of the Assassin's Guild, slayers of the weak willed and terminally lame. But we need to achieve both snide sister dearest. In order to fulfill our contract with the android overlord and terminate Spuddy, we have to protect him from the competition so to speak. Even if that means possible compulsory component recycling for us. Needs must when the Android Overlord drives, and no one we know would dare thwart that particular devil and manic monster. I agree that your spud creature seems to have, perhaps gained a few more enemies than just our eminent client. He is that sort of irritating life form. But we are closest to him and it is our contract to be completed by us. So, you agree with me? Christmas has been temporarily postponed for our little turkey. Spuddy shall live to see another dawn. I would not be at all surprised at that. And I wish you'd stop calling him Spuddy in that sycophantic manner. And where is the little prick anyway? He could be dead meat and this conversation is academic cobblers. 
Spuddy is lying on his back, unconscious or dead, some 20 yards further upstream. The top half of his body is out of the water, lying inert on the pebbly bank. An unusual silver stone has been placed on his forehead, like a Paleolithic calling card. His eyes are closed, he does not stir. Only the legs of his blue NASA jumpsuit bobble about with the current of the shallow river. There he is, up over there. Half out of the river with something silver shining on his temple in the lunar light. Good. Let us go see. We may yet be able to complete this contract and be compensated for all this travail. Overlord, Sire, our technicians believe they have captured and connected to the Pebble Feet at last, my leech. Finally, some progress at last. I do hope so, Igor. I am in no mood for further disappointment today. What would special android agent drunk puppet down on planet Earth believing that he is invincible enough to try and pass a law making peaceful protest to criminal offense? But my leech... That is precisely what we need to happen, is it not, sire? I had not planned for that happening until the second quarter of the planet's next orbit around Sol. We do not have enough android infantry in production until then, Igor. But, sire, you are forgetting Plan B, more of a bang for your bucks with less androids on the ground, so to speak, was how you had summed it up. So, er, um, so I brought forward Plan B. Five score of prime android rabble-rousers have been embedded into the NRA of the United States, my leech. They will supply all the law enforcement that your Trump puppet will need to pass his treasonable protest bill. Splendid, splendid, and all very un-American to boot. And the rest of that pathetic planet's population think that the Yanks do not understand irony. Yes, sire. Did the round of golf on the surface go as well as you expected? As well as I expected. The droid was a complete fool. I don't know how the real Tiger Woods gets away with it on Earth, but the sporting model that bears his name is no longer due for mass production by my personal edict. I shall have to go back to the truck and test a droid model of Tony Jacqueline for my golfing partner tomorrow. Astro Golf. On the surface of any planet or asteroid with little or no gravity, or any atmosphere either, is a very tricky business indeed. So what if the pro-droid Tiger Woods game fell off somewhat this morning? The android golf boy and the evil overlord were playing against the prototype presidential android model Donnie Trump, with Mikey Spence as Trump's caddy, two top-selling models from the Overlord's presidential doppelganger's collection. However, there was no need for the Overlord dictator to take umbrage and wedge the tiger droid with his nine iron up the poor android's ass and club head first to boot before launching him off into space just like a giant lollipop with a well-aimed shove all dictators seem to be very poor losers, methinks. Sire, sir. Chief Tech Newtons assures me that our capture tech is downloading our subject of interest's DNA and spirit dimension print as we speak. It is just a matter of time before we have the complete Spuddy blueprint. Never do you hear me, never call him by that demonstrative moniker again in my presence. That psychedelicized ignoramus is just a carbon-based simian that blindly staggered upon a modicum of good luck that only the once, and I shall take great pleasure in the extraction of his very essence through perpetual damnation in my barbarous laboratories. His lady lordship's eyes, sorry, I mean the android overlord's eyes, glow with intense rapture at his own envisioned exploits upon Captain Spud in reverse necromantic android cloning procedure, a subject that the android overlord 
is so well versed in. In fact, his whole power base in the 11th universe depends upon his armies of evil android concoctions. How very true, my leech. I look forward to seeing what your surgical skills and demonic genius can wreak upon that psychedelic as ignoramus DNA helix let alone his wastrel-like soul. At last, there is Chief Tech Newtons over by the helix capture tubes, sire. In the corner of the side cavern, at the end of one of the many tunnels of the vast interior of his loony lordship's travelling asteroid, is a giant wooden test tube rack, bolted high up on the cavern's bauxite rock wall, with six enormous Pyrex glass test tubes enclosed in the tube slots. Below the test tubes are six plasma Bunsen burners. There is an aluminium gantry surrounding the giant chemical apparatus with two levels of walkway, the one above to oversee the chemical reactions in the 10 foot tall test tubes and the other catwalk below allowing access to the controls of the six huge Bunsen burners. Five of the test tubes are dormant except for the fourth one alone with its liquid content bubbling away like an over-oxygenated tropical fish tank due to the intense heat emanating from the outlet of the plasma Bunsen burner below it. There is a bulky, very odd-looking figure in a scientist's white coat, clutching the ubiquitous silver clipboard and futuristic stylus on the upper walkway. The figure is positioned mesmerized in front of the lone active test tube. By now, the evil overlord has climbed to the top of the aluminium ladder at the side of the gantry and is just stepping onto the upper catwalk with his assistant, Igor, right behind him. Hey, Hawk. Newtons, how goes it, old chap? Good news, I trust. The bulky, very odd-looking figure in the scientist's white coat is startled by his master's voice and wakes suddenly from his intense scientific musings. He turns towards the two visitors, still clutching the ubiquitous silver clipboard in his right hand and the futuristic stylus in his left hand, while his middle hand is slapping the face of his second head. Well, I did warn you that he was a very odd-looking figure. Let me explain. The boys and gals in the marketing department of Overlord Androids Incorporated came up with a really clever wheeze whilst planning their promotional onslaught on the Christmas market one particular year. The phrase, two for the price of one, was given an extra twist and co-joined twins, or rather Siamese androids, became a one-time festive season wonder. Fortunately, they were all recalled due to digital schizophrenia and culled by Easter time. It is a mystery to me how Chief Tech Newtons missed the bulletin. All is progressing well, sire. We have already contained 53% of the victim's living essence in the retaining tube, as you can see for yourself, my liege. This is the Sir Isaac Newton half of the co-joined android twins speaking. He was the 17th century natural philosopher, a fellow of Trinity College, and a secret alchemist. Sir Isaac was cloned by the android overlord from one of Newton's teeth, which was set as the jewel of a ring that had been purloined by one of the android overlord's network of secret agents based on planet Earth. Aye, laddie, this shipmate is not so wrong. It is near a full bottle of grog we have here. Ah, yes, well, this is Robert Guy Newton, the hard-drinking English theatre and film actor of the 1940s and 50s. Unfortunately for the cloning technicians of the Overlord Android Inc., Mr. Newton's son had scattered his dance ashes into the sea at La Morna in Cornwall, where the actor had spent his childhood dreaming of becoming a pirate. 
but again, one of the network of secret agents based on planet Earth earned his salt by obtaining from a Saint-Ville de Paul shop in Ballywheelie a VHS copy of Robert Newton's most famous performance as Long John Silver in the 1950 version of Treasure Island. So a very rough digital cloning of Robert Newton was composited between the film actor and the character of Long John Silver. I think old Robert Newton himself would have approved of that. I, Jim Ladd. We are back at the crash scene. Slight is kneeling by the inert body of Captain Spud with a look of concern on her face for your man. Snide is standing behind her comrade, furtively trying to silently reload the semi-automatic. She has a murderous gleam in her eyes. Then there is a metallic click as the female assassin slides a fresh magazine into the stock of her weapon. With a malevolent smile on her face, Snide raises her gun until she has a clear shot at Spuddy's head over her kneeling sister's shoulder. Her finger itches on the trigger. It is all prepared to pull back and unleash consummate death when her sister, Slide, suddenly twitches and spasms with electrical discharge and drops like a suddenly stringless puppet, her torso conveniently shielding Spuddy from imminent death by lead poisoning. Before a malevolent assassin can react instinctively or otherwise, Snide feels the cold brutality of the business end of a revolver barrel pressed cruelly deep into the synthetic flesh of her left cheek. I know what you're thinking, Snide. Did you fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth, in all this excitement, I have kinda lost track myself. But being as this is a point forty-four Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you have got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Android? After a very long pause, Snide heaves a heavy sigh of inevitable compliance and with great reluctance and ever so slowly, she tosses her semi-automatic over her right shoulder. Upon hearing the splash of her favourite weapon sinking into the river, Snide wipes away an imaginary tear or two from her eyes and turns to face the retaliatory bubble. She can now see that Ziggy is indeed holding a .44 Magnum in two morphed hands. The revolver is still aimed aggressively at the left side of her face. Also, in another morphed hand, extended from Ziggy's protective bubble, is a tri-beam Dan Dare cosmic ray gun, still aimed in the direction of the unconscious slight, slumped protectively over the inert body of Captain Spud. And now, ever so slowly, please, Move over to your compatriot and lift her stunned body off, my dear captain. Do it very carefully. Don't give me an excuse to plug your head full of lead. Because I really don't like you, Android Snide. With the reluctance of an Ayatollah entering a Donnie Trump look-alike competition at a village fate, Snide obliges. She lifts her android sister over her shoulder and walks a few paces away from the river's edge into the potato field. The CPU spider in a bubble is still with his three morphed arms outstretched, holding the weapons on the two androids as he floats discreetly behind the temporary subjugated assassin, all alert to further resistance. Ziggy beckons Snide with the barrel of the .44 Magnum to lay her burden down. She complies, dropping Spike to the soil with all the indifference she believes her sister deserves. 
The female assassin now stands defiant, staring hard at the hovering bubble, as if by intense mind control alone she can make Ziggy explode. I feel it is wishful thinking on her part though, as nothing happens. Then the Ziggernaut 101 CPU spider demonstrates to Snide exactly what mind control is all about, as he telepaths a final command to the invisible space cruiser hovering above the potato field to switch off its cloaking device and reveal itself in an almost over-the-top show of strength. Snide spins round to face the approaching triangular-shaped spacecraft. The pupils of her android eyes expand as she reads the name of the craft, daubed in luminous paints on the black hole with colourful 60s psychedelic-style lettering. Spud E1. Snide's shoulders droop visibly with acute resignation. Spotty one. Spotty one. Warning, warning. Spotty one is now landing. Warning. Warning. Now that I have your full attention, I want you to carry my captain into the field and lay him ever so gently with full ceremonial honors beside your sister. Drop him like you did to slide. And I will drop you permanently. As the female assassin tentatively walks back towards the river, Ziggy rises slowly until he is a few yards above the android's head. He keeps the barrel of his revolver pointing at the dead center of Snide's cranium as they make their way towards the inanimate body of Spuddy, who is still lying by the water's edge, with his legs dangling in the river and the silver pebble is still residing on his forehead like some sort of parasitic blood-sucking leech. And you can throw that fucking pebble away. Snide plucks the offensive pebble from off Spuddy's brow and swiftly throws it up at Ziggy with such enormous android-powered force. Luckily, the pebble glances across the skin of Ziggy's bubble on its meteoric rise causing the CPU spider's bubble to rotate. Ziggy's gun hands follow the rotational spin skywards, tracking the ascending silver pebble to its centre. The .44 Magnum barks out one shot. The now very distant pebble explodes into a supernova fire display, scorching a sizable area of the underside of the organic membrane of the multi-dimensional protection dome in the nighttime sky above Ballyweary District. Oh my lovely, such a splendid shot. Bobby, Bobby Dazzler. You win a toffee apple for such exquisite marksmanship, my trigger happy ignored. This voice from up on the embankment is fittingly commanding and soothing as a prim and proper nanny's voice would be in a nursery gone rampant. However, the creature standing on the rise of the potato field, with a floor mop in one of her many hands, and a tommy gun in another of her numerous multi-purpose appendages, is no Mary Poppins. This is Millie. She is a vintage Domestro droid. This model of domestic cleaning and child-rearing android was designed by taking a leaf out of nature's immeasurably fast and intricate book. The Domesto droid was engineered as a giant millipede with multi-functioning arms stroke legs that could get into all the little cracks and crevices where dirt lingers near eternally. Also, the millipede imagery kept many a yuppie couple's children informed, traumatised and disciplined enough to give their parents sufficient meat time along with continuing the family tradition of constant psychotherapy for their offspring. No, Minnie is no Poppin J, Ms. Poppin, the magical nanny, nor a downtrodden East European illegal domestic drudge neither. 
admittedly, Lily has been refurbished, tinkered with, and has had her software retuned somewhat. But all that was a fitting reward for her valour and self-sacrifice in disposing of a limpid and squid body-mind from inside the only airlock entrance to Captain Spud's inherited share of Looney Manor, situated under the sea of tranquility on Earth's moon. So, all in all, Millie is highly proficient in the use of the Thompson submachine gun she is brandishing at Snide, along with the floor. Well, I suppose you'll be expecting me to clean up all this mess I've made. And the right mess it is, to be sure. Spuddy gains consciousness. He splutters and thrashes about on the ground as if he is drowning in a barrel, just like George Plantagenet, the Duke of Clarence, must have done, struggling for life in a vat of Malmsey wine. Both Millie and Ziggy are distracted by this sudden revival of their captain as Snide seizes the moment to make her escape. Snide crosses the shallow river, with her feet splashing through the water as she runs, alerts Millie to the escaping figure. Millie aims at the receding android hitwoman and fires off her tommy gun, emptying the whole drum. Millie has hit Snide's legs below the kneecap several times, but this does not deter the fleeing assassin as she jumps over the dry stone wall onto the patchy tarmac of the Kilpary Road. Her legs now shielded by the stonework, Snide turns around and makes a defiant gesture to Millie with her middle digit. Enraged at the assassin's lack of decorum, Millie is struggling to reload her semi-automatic with another full drum. Ever the gentleman. Ziggy takes aim and fires his .44 magnum once. The offending finger is no more. At this personal violation, Snipe turns to run back to Ballywheel along the country lane. The .44 magnum fires once more. The left side of the android hitwoman's face explodes in a bloody shower of permafresh fragments. The Newtonian momentum of the invading bullet hits the android's silicon fibre cranium, lifting Snide off her feet and spinning her around. Totally disorientated and now actually frightened, the damaged hitwoman scampers off on the opposite course she had intended to take along the Kilbarry Road. Snide is now heading in the direction of Wicked Whack Manor and the Sam Maguire spaceport. I think that may well be enough to figure out all the time I owe you, my dear Zygmunt. Considering purchasing a .44 Magnum handgun, the most powerful handgun in the world, from your neighborhood demonically evil arms dealership store, please remember that only dead stores give you, the customer, the right to use Mystery Twins now legendary dialogue lines, free of additional charge, 
with no copyright comeback. Something to treasure all your life, a papyrus parchment scroll, embossed and handcrafted in blood and gore, of Dirty Harry's legendary dialogue lines with every purchase of a .44 Magnum only from demonically evil arms dealership stores. So, all you gun-toting Trumpites, come on down to your local dead store and dead yourselves. Dead Stores Incorporated, home of good shooting. Customers who bought this item also purchased a Dandare Tri-Beam Ray Gun. Batteries not included. A Dandare Tri-Beam Ray Gun? I must get one of them. ta a bit. At Wackaroodies. Is the in place to relax and be seen mingling with the pud stars of the audio drama Twitterfear.ie? as the cast and crew relax and unwind after a hard day's recording. Hiya, my name is Brian Flaubrady. I hope you don't mind if I join you. I work as a broadcaster at RTE. I am interested in audio theater. So, how do you think the twit went this week? Are you talking about our psychedelic leading actor or this week's episode of Twitter Fear? If the former, Spuddy has been following the same method acting classes that Marlon Brando wagged off, and it shows. And he has been drinking too many solar flares in his dressing room with a certain female supporting character actor. But if you are inquiring about the characters and storyline of Twit 5 then, I'll have you know they cut all my best lines. I had to make do with my manically bulging eyes and other facial gestures and make heavy use of my seriously deformed hunchback to make the role all my own. So this is what you look like in real life? I just assumed that you'd walked off set for a drink before having your prosthetics and makeup removed. Amazingly, this is the real you then. I see before me, right? Look here, matey. I work in the audio drama industry. Not bloody namby-pamby Hollywood, with their stand-in doubles, blank bullets in Russian roulette revolvers and everything else, a computer-generated image. No sir, in the audio drama world, matey. Every word and sound recorded is real and actual. Every punch in the face the villain of the piece meters out to you is real, and it really hurts. Every shot fired, be it from a .44 Magnum or a Dandare Tri-Beam Ray Gun, it hurts or kills. Every explosion, be it a John Deere tractor or an enemy spacecraft exploding, it all causes destruction and death but it is all recorded, real, and actual, with sensitive, emotive, empathetic multi-dimensional microphones, or it isn't audio drama. How else can we portray real art? You've got to be kidding me, right? You're pulling my plonker, to be sure. Every second of a Twitter Fear episode is recorded real as it happens, all the blood sweat and tears of the writer's drama acted out for real? Yes, for real, precisely. Audio drama is the real thing. Hollywood and television are wussy kennels filled with overpaid celebs prancing around pretending that fakery of image is king. But surely when Weird Audio Productions records an episode, sorry, a twit of Twitter fear, in high definition actuality and reality sound waves, well don't expensive things get broken. Buildings destroyed, actors hurt, even killed? Yes, of course, that is the whole point of physicalist audio theater. But the insurance alone must be astronomical. Never mind the threat of criminal proceedings if actors get seriously injured or killed in the name of physicalism in audio theater. 
Worry ye not, Weird Audio Studios secured such a sweet deal with the merchant of Venice insurance conglomerates for an exclusively tailored Gold Star triple rated M of V Deja Vu fully comprehensive insurance policy. So, in plain English please for my listeners back on earth, what does a merchant of Venice, Deja Vu policy machine do? Quite simply, it puts everything back together and alive before all the disaster, damage, and death has occurred. Don't ask me how they do it, because I am but a humble hunchbacked actor not a wizard of the temporal manipulations. I shall have to get one of my researchers back on Earth to look it all up for me. But you are saying that Hollywood and the television industry are peddling fake fiction, but only in audio drama are you acting out the truth. And that weird audio productions are producing true fiction of great merit, even if you have to kill actors to get the best performance out of them? I mean, reality is now fake fiction. Which means we at Weird Audio Productions, are acting out the truth. I bet Donnie Trump doesn't think of that as he tweets fake news when he starts his day on the crapper. Anyway, getting back to the hot gossip. Which particular female member of the cast is the Spudmeister rehearsing his 21st century, ragged trousered philanthropist performance upon? Sire of the soundbite. I am astounded that you should deign to make inquiries in that direction whilst one of your RTE hovering microphones is airborne above our heads. What are tongue-tied, Iger is heavily hinting at in his Transylvanian brogue. I can grind a drink or two out of the media dub, without any help from you my girl. Well pardon me, you Transylvanian trash actor. Oi, away with yourself woman. Please forgive him, Mr. Flubridi sir. But every third Friday in the month the management of Wackaroodies likes to program all their personality projection drones as characters from classic literature. I am programmed to be Nancy from Dickens, Oliver Twist. I am a young alluring girl of the streets, in love with a brutal villain. Smitten by him I am. But for the life of me, I cannot tell which classical fictional character this hunchback is playing unless it be... A very thirsty hunchback in green tights with some scorchingly hot gossip to spill perchance. Please Nancy, join us, now, can I buy everyone a drink? Have you slept with them yet? It is no good you're just sitting there all still and silent, with your glass held to your lips, not sipping your wine and not answering my question either. Ah, now you have answered me. Your face is blushing embarrassingly betrothed red. That clinches it. No. We haven't, not yet anyway, but he is certainly keen as mustard. But he does know you are a synth droid, doesn't he? Even he can't be that dumb. Interspecies liaisons has not been a galactic crime for centuries. Planet Earth has not yet signed up to the Galactic Criminal Code of Practice. As far as I know they haven't even been invited to apply for provisional membership yet. And no. He certainly is not dumb at all. When I explained to him that, since droids genitalia is specifically designed for total devotion to sexual gratification. Unlike human genitalia, which has been designed to multifunction the sex act, along with all aspects of procreation and bodily waste disposal. My man exclaimed, since droids should be cherished. Knowing your man as you put it. I bet he really said, I'll show you mine, if you'll show me yours, more his style don't you agree? No. I think he sincerely understands what I can offer him. Arbit have you thought, is he up to it? Can he really offer you romance and sensational supernova sexual bliss? I gave him my copy of Dr. D. Bosch's, The Karma Sutra for Extraterrestrial, Interspecies Lovers. He was most impressed with the great Dr. D. Bosch. He has read it three times now. After first reading he said, 
Dr. D. Bosch made him feel horrendously inadequate, that now he could only think of human genitalia as very archaic plumbing indeed. A bit like having a clock radio tease made bubbling away by your bedside all night long. After he read the book for a second time, he had this awestruck look on his face. He kept asking me such weird anatomical questions that I had such a struggle escaping from his trailer with my dignity intact. But by the end of his third reading of, The Karma Sutra for Extraterrestrial, Interspecies Lovers, by the notorious, Dr. Debosh, he was acquitted of all charges. Yeah yeah, whatever, but you have to admit their children looked so grossly ugly for any combination of species from this universe. But go on. What happened after your Bo's third reading of this sex life changing book? Well we had a candlelit dinner upstairs last night, in Rudy's kitchen, all romantic like and we discussed the contents of the book, as far as it relates to our physiologies. And my man is good to go. We are having a book club meeting tomorrow night at my place, just the two of us, it is a very small book club. I do not know how you talked me into this. I want to leave before it is too late. Shush. You were happy enough to take his money. Now it is time for you to deliver the goods. I have changed my mind. I do not want to do it. He can have his bloody money back. No a deal is a deal. Ah, and here he is now to collect on the deal. I see he is being escorted to our booth by a PP drone, as the projected personality of Tess of the Durbervilles. Lovely lady but such a tragic way for Tess to go. Hang, I believe she was. But it would be distasteful to say anything to her about it now. My dear Miss Moneypenny, we meet again. And may I say how charming is your appearance once more? Mr. Voss, I do not want to do this. I have changed my mind. This is neither right nor proper. As my subordinate said, a deal is a deal, Miss Moneypenny. So, hand over the script to me please, now. So that there is no need for any physical unpleasantness to befall you at the hands of my associate Mr. Vicious here. But what you so badly need an illicit copy of the next episode of Twitter Fear for? Mr. Boss is a highly dedicated fan of the podcast. As I am of all audio drama, it is the theater of the mind. Mr. Boss has a controlling interest in many minds. Mr. Vicious. Mr. Boss is a highly passionate collector of audio drama, memorabilia such as Twitter Fear scripts. But with six of Twitter Fear is not in production yet. This is only a copy of the final draft. Mr. Boss likes to know what happens in Twitter Fear before everyone else, Miss. I am the ultimate fan of Twitter Fear, Miss. And unlike you, I am not short of a bob or two to be succinct. I am the patron of the audio arts, Miss Moneypenny. Mr. Boss is proposing that you continue supplying advanced copies of all future Twitter fear scripts discreetly for reward and recompense. A sweet cake for you, surely, Miss Moneypenny. Being the personal secretary to the actual scriptwriter himself, like? Mr. Boss is implying that it will be like money for old rope. Cocking joke there, Mr. Vicious. Yeah, a right little corker. So, do we have a deal then, Miss Moneypenny? So, this is Brian Flubrity reporting from Wackarudy's Bar. Location? Somewhere in the multiverse? That is all they will tell me. I cannot leave Wackarudy's. There is some sort of emergency situation going on outside the building. But hey-ho, the hospitality is forever flowing, and my RTE issue, roving microphones are picking up all sorts of golden gossip. Things could be worse.
I am sure they will let me out of here in time for my late, late TV show on Friday. Of course, they will, and they will provide some lavish form of transport to Montrose, for my convenience, to be sure. This is Brian Flubberty of RTE, signing off from somewhere in the Twilight Zone. Weird Audio Productions the home of psychedelic sci-fi and surreal audio adventures. Weird Audio Productions broadcasts to the 8th universe. You lucky earthlings are just getting bleat over. <laughs>